So, um, I'm going to transition from picking on my young people, and now I'm going to talk about my older folks. I wish there was more of you guys here, but maybe you're watching online. But this afternoon's conversation is going to be a really, really good one because we're going to see a lot of uh, connection to our children, and it's going to be painful. It's not going to be something that you necessarily um, wanted to find out, possibly, but it is very necessary information. So again, the topic of this afternoon is geared more towards my young people, uh, I mean my older people, on how it is directly connected and related to the youth. The hell I'm trying to avoid is the hell I've created. So let's um, get to these texts. The first one is Ephesians 6 verse 4, fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. So what's the difference between hell and hell? Because again, it's the hell I'm trying to avoid is the hell that I've created. So let's get into it. So the hell I'm trying to avoid, obviously, it's a place regarded in various religious and spiritual realm of evil and suffering, often traditionally depicted as a place of spiritual fire beneath the earth where the wicked are punished after death. And then it's also used to express an annoyance or surprise or for emphasis. Has anyone ever heard or maybe even used the phrase, um, you put me through living hell? You ever heard that before? So when we say that, or when it's been said to us, that was figurative. However, our parents put us through literal hell. So again, when we use that as a phrase of pain or hurt, oh, you put me through living hell, we're talking about the agony, the frustration, the stress that has been put on us as the provider. But parents put kids through literal hell, and that's what we're going to talk about the literal hell parents put kids through. So again, when parents say it to the kids, it's just a figure of speech. Parents actually put kids through hell. So the H, hereditary, talks about this briefly this morning. The E is environment. The L is learned, and the last L is lifestyle. That was misspelled, of course. So hereditary, that's obviously mommy and daddy, clearly XY chromosomes. The child had no say. They had no vote. They had no right in what from the mom and what from the dad was placed into them. It just happens. That's why it's called hereditary. Then we have the environment. Once more, we talked about it a little earlier. That is where you were raised. The kids don't say, I want to live in this neighborhood. I don't want to live in that neighborhood. They, would, they don't get to say how the household should be run. That's the environment in which they were raised. Lifestyle, how are you living? What type of lifestyle are you living? What type of lifestyle are you promoting? And learned behavior, you are teaching your kids by virtue of what you do and what you don't do. So what you do, they're watching. What you don't do, they are also wondering and inquiring and they are finding out a way to get their needs met in their creative ways that young people do. So this is where the transition takes place. Again, it would be definitely more instrumental if more um, adults were here today to get the parenting styles, but we're going to work with what we got. 
How do you parent? What type of parent are you? Do you find yourself saying and doing exactly what your parents said and did and you swore you would never do? What do your kids say about you behind your back? So let me ask you a question, night nurse. They don't know about that. <laughs> what type of parent are you? Are you a parent that you allow your children free will to share their views and opinions with you? Or are you one where what you say is what they do and not much room for discussion? What would you say? In terms of how you felt your delivery was. Good. What about you? What type of parent were you? More of a dictator? You tell them how it's going to be and this is your house and this is your rule or, or free will where they're able to be a little bit flexible? 50-50. All right, and that's honest. What type of parent are you? Would you agree with your mama or is she giving herself a little bit too much credit? Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. So your mama bounced. Yeah, she knew I was going to get her. <laughs> I'm going to wait till she come back to ask you that question. Um, Brooklyn is yours, right? Yep, yep. Sister dance, hand dancing. I saw you this morning, girl, getting it. So you heard what your mom said about the type of parent that she is? Is she right? Does she give you a warning before you're about to get that belt? Or does she just kind of just bring it on you? She warns you? Okay, you got a little credit right there. Okay, I'll give you that. All right, so now here's the time when you guys are going to ask yourselves, try to see if you can identify the exact. There's four different types. I want you to see if you can identify the exact type of parent your parent was or that you are. All right, so here we go. We have the authoritarian, the permissive, the uninvolved, and the authoritative or the democratic. So... The authoritarian, the first parenting style, that's when the parent expects children to follow strict rules, does not explain why rules should be obeyed, punish children who disobeys rules, are controlling, power-oriented, use verbal threats or spanking. Does anyone identify with authoritarian? Or your parent? You identified as that. You feel like you were or your parent? Both mom or dad? Which one? My mom. Your mom? Okay. What about you? With, with your parent? It, would um, that authoritarian. Most like More authoritarian than not? One. Mom, dad? Gotcha. <laughs> Do you identify with authoritarian, Pastor? No? Uh, you're trying to process in your, <laughs> you're speaking it out loud to see if you can make sense. What would you think? Okay. How about you? You, you and I were talking about earlier your, type, your mom. What type of, you didn't really, was raised too much around her, so it's hard for you to identify? Just, okay. All right. So, there's a lot of talking. So, here are the effects of authoritarian parent. Parenting styles of the authoritarian. Children, the effects of parenting style on the child. Children are typically obedient. Typically. Now remember, obedience follows two paths. Choice or fear. Proficient, they're typically good at what they do. And this is once they're moving towards the phase of life. So it's 
you got to kind of gauge to see if they're going to get there, right? All right? They perform worse academically. They appear insecure. May view parent as the enemy. They may be confused about what, what is right, what is wrong. And they have declined levels of happiness and self-esteem compared to children who do not have authoritarian parents. So this is the effect on the children from authoritarian parents. Permissive. You had something to say? You wanted to say something? Huh? No, we can go back because we're talking about um, the type of parent that you are. Would you consider yourself to be authoritarian? No, that's not you? Okay. So how about permissive? This is what the parent has. They have no firm rules and extremely lenient. Accept child as who she is or who he is. Discipline, love through praise and affection. Child can do no wrong. Communicates and nurtures child. Acts more like a friend than a parent. I heard someone say that's Caucasian parents. Cut it out. Stop it. Stop it. Leave Johnny alone. <laughs> so we have no permissive parents in here? No? What? <laughs> no? What? Not even? No? no? Oh, my goodness. So, so, okay, okay. We have one. Which one of your parents would be the permissive one? Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Yes, we gotta. They want to record you. See, see this. This uh, had some input. All right, so go ahead. It's not on, sis. All right, there you go. I think that uh, kind of uh, um, a little bit of this. Um, uh, I feel like I was honestly allowed to do a lot of things. And I wasn't as disciplined as I should have probably been. I, and I got away with a lot of things. So now, without getting too deep and personal, because we don't want an individual therapy session at this time, but was, would you say that was because you and your parent didn't have a relationship where you lived with them throughout your entire childhood? Kind or you feel of. Like or you feel like it would have been the same regardless? Because typically what happens is parents try to be friends with their children, African-American parents or parents who are of different races um, tend to be, we don't want to do any type of stereotyping, but African-American parents typically tend to have the permissive style when they haven't been in their child's life throughout the course of birth to adulthood. So do you feel like that may have something to do with it? Yes. Or do you feel like it was just her style, period? I think it just had to do with uh, uh, a, a presence, yeah. So the lack of presence made her yeah. want to give in more and let you do a little bit more? Maybe. That's a good point. Um, anyone else had a point about permissive? No, 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 no. Per yes, can you give him the mic? That's just one aspect of it because um, permissive parents in most, inst in most instances mm -hmm. is due to the fact that they do not want to replicate the kind of parentage they had. And so therefore, I'm not going to raise my child the same way, but they become less disciplinarian with their parent, with their children, and more permissive. Mm -hmm. And that, that way the child somehow controlled 
the parents' reaction to whatever they do mm -hmm. and gets away with more. That's a great point, and you have a very valid point. There's a difference, though, between allowance and permission. So when you have a permissive parent, the child runs the show. When you're a lenient parent, you give some leeway and you allow. So that's a very good point that you make. Yes. Uh, I want to also talk about the absentee parent. Uh, a lot of, the, of us, especially in um, minority groups, is the fact that we're so busy getting our hair done and our nails and our lashes, we leave our children alone to raise themselves. And then when we get to the house and they haven't done what we wanted them to do, then it's almost abusive because now I want to jump down their throat and I want to jump on them, but you haven't been there to raise them. And so I find that that is a lot. Um, I used to teach in a elementary school and most of the kids that I dealt with were right out of the hood and they only understood when I looked at them and said, oh, we're going there today? You know, like you had to go there with them for them to understand. But then on the other hand, I let them know that I love them, I care about them. And I had a student tell me I was the only person that had ever told them, and this student was in fourth grade, that I that had ever told them that they loved, that I loved them. And, and um, again, it's important to note, especially for those who are watching online, this is not an absolute. Nothing that we're saying here is an absolute. You must be X, Y, and Z. This is just some guides and some you know, research that had been done to make this uh, how it appears. So to your point, when you were saying um, earlier, your son didn't present as such, you know, he may have one or two or, who, or she or whomever, but you don't have to present with all of them or if you're absent of any of these does not mean that you are not that person. All right, so we just want to make that clear. But the permissive style parent, yes, you have something else. I'm sorry, I had someone ask me to say that they also have the parenting style, especially minority groups, because parents are working a lot, where the older sibling becomes the parent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, that definitely happens a lot. So the effects of parenting style, of the permissive parenting style on the child, Sometimes, again, it's not a totality, the child becomes dependent, irresponsible, lacks self-control, immature, experiences problems with authority, experiences problems in schools, encountering more problems in relationships and social interactions, social interactions little or no regard for interests, beliefs, attitudes, or then themselves. They become self-centered, all right? And again, when you allow children to make a lot of choices and decisions at an early age, because again, we talked about how the brain doesn't really develop until around 25, 26, they, to that last point of being self-centered, everything is around them because for the most part, they have been doing things that benefit them for their survival. Alrighty, so how about the uninvolved parent? So Sister Woodard, that's what you were talking about earlier, that parent that either leaves the child home by choice because they want to party, they want to go out, they want to do their own thing, or they had to work. Like my mom worked three jobs, so I had my siblings who really, really um, kind of raised me in, to a large degree. The parent, this is how the parent looks. They make, make few demands, 
They're distant, always too busy, but often has time. Priorities out of order. So, like to your point, they're too busy for the kids, but they got time to get their nails done, or their hair done, or hang out with their girls, or go play basketball with the homies, or go to the gym. So they're too busy for their kids, but when you call them or ask them to do something, they're the first one there. They assume child is okay and has it together, but most times does not, and they seek attention. And these are the children that are super overpressed. When you go to a party, that's the Adventists in the middle of the dance floor whining the hardest. When you go out to the clubs or go out hanging out, they're the one who wears the most jewelry. They want to be known, that overly attention seeker. Yes. Um, low responsive to child, responsiveness to child, detached from child, but fulfills his or her basic needs. So they'll do the basics, food, clothing, and shelter, but that's it. Just very bare minimum. In extreme cases, parents reject or neglect the needs of the child. Again, they're just like, you know what? You will be all right. You know, they really don't get involved in the intricacies of the child. I used to teach in D.C. public and private school system, like I said, and one of the biggest problems was parent-teacher conferences. They just would not come up. They would not show. And when they did, it was like it was a bother. They had just come from work. Like, I was bothering them, taking them away from relaxing or doing something to tell them about their child. So they would come in mad at their child for not behaving and then mad at me for disrupting their program or their time or whatever they had doing. So it was a real, real serious situation. So how about how it affects um, the child? Their child may feel neglected, abandoned, and have a low self-esteem. They may fear becoming dependent on other people, lack self-control, tend to exhibit more delinquencies during adolescence, emotionally distant, often withdrawn typically feel insecure or increased fear, anxiety, or stress due to lack of family support and have an increased risk of substance abuse. Do we have any uninvolved parents in the house? This is the, the, the part where nobody typically volunteers or, and says, yep, that's me. It's, it's not the most glorified category whatsoever, but again, some is choice and some is circumstance. My mom had to work. She was working two and three jobs, so to a large degree, she wasn't involved. That, you can relate? Um, I had to work two and three jobs because he was sick and I still had to take care of the house and my kids. So a lot of times my sister or my mom were able to step in, most, mostly my sister. And she, we co-parented. And because of that, it helped me um, not to feel as guilty for being away. But then she died suddenly, and it caused a major uh, upheaval in my, my life as far as missing her because we were very close and my kids losing basically a mother. So it, it, was, it was very difficult. And, um, you know, a lot of people may not know your story or how you are, but a, a lot of times you have rough edges even though you mean well, it's just the presentation. And so I, I, though that's something that I know I've worked through and I'm still working through to get better, but my, my heart is always pure, even though the delivery, so I always tell people, charge it to my head, not my heart, because mm. it's not on purpose. You got somebody who need to say something. 
I do not classify her as an uninvolved parent. Um, you were very much there. Like your act for me, your actions showed you you being there. Even though you may not have physically been there, what you were doing through your actions showed for me. I'm gonna speak for myself. For me, this would be more so my dad because of him not necessarily being around or kind of showing those. Loved him, but because of what he went through growing up and how he was raised, I would classify him more as the uninvolved parent for me. So you both hit on the point that I was transitioning to. And remember we talked this morning and the whole conversations this weekend, hurt people hurt people. Uninvolved parents are not always intentional. As a nurse, I'm certain that you understand how one's mental health really plays an effect on how we respond, relate, and react to people and circumstances and situations. My dad was an uninvolved dad, so similar to what someone raised earlier, he never told me that he loved me because his dad never told him that he loved him. And then we have hardcore Jamaican, you know, Caribbean, let's just put it that way, um, who don't really say I love you much for whatever reason, for a twisted reason, especially the men. It's like you're soft if you tell your male child you love him. Like he would barely, rarely tell my sister, but at least you would hear it from time to time. But for whatever reason, man to man, he's just like, man a man. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> they just find it real hard to just open up. Do you, do you find that to have be similar to your experience? What about you? Was, was that a similar experience for you, from your dad to you or from you to your children? Give him the mic, please. He's about to go deep on me. <laughs> My dad never said it. But you felt it. But there was no question that he loved me. How? How could you interpret without words that he loved you? Because some, some of us may need to know because, we struggle with that. Because of what he did for me and the way he cared uh, for me. Um, I was the kind of person that... Put the mic, the mic, sorry. I was the kind of person, if you're going to discipline me, I'm not going to be there. Mm. I'm gone. Because I'm gone to my grandfather or whatsoever. Mm. But my dad, he would not rest to know that I'm not at home. Oh, wow. So he, you know, he tried to find me wherever I was. So he would literally go the extra mile to find you? Yes, he wow. would. He would, even though that was a rival because I didn't want to get no spanking. And he said, you know, if That's I powerful. misbehave, I'm going to be spanked. But he was more concerned about me being at home wow. than the spanking. Now, we'll deal with that later on. Wow. So, um, you know, the expressive nature mm -hmm. of Caribbean fathers mm -hmm. to their children, not all, in terms of saying the words, I love you, is different. Do you, can you, can you kind of speak as to why it's different between an African-American and Caribbean? Well, it's the way they were raised. Yeah. It's, it's the way they are raised. You know, people, people easily say here, I love you. Some, some are joining, some are not. And that is to be given. And so, as Caribbean fathers, it's not an expressive word you hear. Now, then some of those who were educated in finer schools, 
and recognize the importance of that will try to exhibit it. But those who are not, saying it was not something that come off their lips quite easily. Mm. And that is, that is that. So we learn from experience. Yeah, we learn did, from experience. Did you struggle with saying the words that you didn't hear? Mostly. I appreciate the honesty. Mostly I did. And uh, there are times in which I may say, it, you know, the mother would say it more. I mean, women are more expressive. Some of us are not too expressive with words. And, and that's another situation. So I did not say it as often as I should. And I often got criticized and condemned for not saying it. But then, you know, I've shown it and I've tried to carry it forward without having to say it. Does the saying, action speak louder than words, really apply in situations like this? Yes, it does. Okay. It does, and the child gets a, a complicated uh, analysis when he hears others say it to him, I mean to their children or to them or whatsoever. And it gives a mixed signal to the child that if the father doesn't say it, then he doesn't care or he does not love them. And, and so they, they have to decipher for themselves which is true, which is not. And, and, and so that's, that's the way it is. Well, that's good. That's good. I appreciate that. Um, unlike your dad, my dad would beat me for whatever I did and beat me again for not being home, for the beating. <laughs> so that was, that was good. <laughs> But again, just to make sure it hits home, uninvolved parents don't always, are not always uninvolved because of choice, emotions, because of fear, because of circumstance. Some people remove themselves. I'm one who, rather than trying to be in a place, I don't like arguing because I grew up around it so much that arguing just, it does something to me. It does something not good either. So... I would leave and um, try to calm down and then come back. But I don't like arguing. I don't like being in a, a space where they're arguing going on and so on and so forth. I'm going to go here and then I'm going to go here. Sister Woodard, you still have the mic? Can you pass it right there, please? Yep. Um, I was just going to touch on the point that um, I think you said it of Caribbean parents being like really... Korean fathers being really opposed to saying, you know, I love you or showing affection to their sons because um, uh, we were raised, well, men are usually raised to think that vulnerability equals weakness, but it's kind of backwards to me because we show affection to, you know, our daughters and then our daughters grow up looking for that in a man, but the men of their generation wasn't raised to show affection, so then you know, it's, a, it's not just a youth problem because now it's carrying on into adult life as well. Good point. Hold on. Keep the mic. Keep the mic. Keep the mic. Because today we're picking more on the adults than we are the youth. The other three presentations were more geared towards the young people. So we're talking about our adults because what they need to understand is how they did or didn't do what happened shaped us. So as a result of your experience, how were you shaped and do you struggle now with picking a spouse for yourself 
because of what you had or didn't have in your dad? Um, yeah, well, I would say a lot of the girls of my generation, you would hear all the time, you know, all the good ones are gone. And that's because the generation that was raised for us to, you know, pick from, it's very few of them that, you know, show vulnerability. And, you know, people talk about you when you look for someone older, but, you know, that's the generation that's showing you this affection of what you need. Excuse me. So when you say older, how old are you? I'm 18 years old. So when you say older, you're talking about like 18 and a half, right? Sure. <laughs> you're not talking about like 30. No. Okay, all right. You have to clarify because remember, men typically are two years re regressed right. from women. So at Yeah, 18, that's another reason you would choose. Someone. Again, typically? No, literally. 10. The mental state Girl, of where men, you get your stats from? <laughs> literally. Go ahead, say it. Yeah, I would say like... You will hear it from, and she's not even, you know, in our generation, but you will hear Slave. it from, you will hear it from her too, like, the, and I'm not trying to, you know, to our own horn, but our mental capacity and how we think and how we know, we figure out our lives, I feel, way younger than two men years, do. Two years. Give us two years. Uh, mm. No. I would say about 10 years. Oh, There's, nah. It's a large mental gap. It's a large mental gap. You know, Michael, Michael's that way. Um, a lot of it has to do, there are, there are many factors. It's no blanket, but it's um, demographics. Because if you think about people like, in, like this type of Florida is different than North Florida. You see what I'm saying? Like you go to Jacksonville and Tallahassee, no, but what I'm saying is demographics play into this. You know, um, all right, so just sharing a point, but I'm going to let you go back because, yes, go ahead, bro. Oh, all I was going to say was, um, so my dad, he's Jamaican, you know I'm saying, and he wasn't opposed to saying I love you. I've heard it a lot, but I feel like it really um, digs into your love language because words of affirmation wasn't necessarily mine. So him telling him I love me didn't mean I love you to me. It was the actions that he showed to me that were so I feel like parents in that sense that, you know, he felt that as if his father was loves him because he went oh when he even had to say it, you know what I'm saying? It's more you pay attention to your children's love language, you understand how they receive love because one way you think you're giving love may not be the way that they are receiving it. So that's all I wanted to say. That's a great point. But again, you also have to take into account that you don't know your love language until you find out about it. So what has to happen is um, you, I hate to use the word should, but it's good practice for those words to be shared to you so that you can know what it's like to receive it because typically we give what we receive. So if you've received, I love you, now it's not that hard for you now to pass it forward, whether it's to your spouse or to your son, it will be a lot easier coming off the lips. But for me, when my dad never told me, I have two girls, I don't have a son. But in the beginning, it was a little challenging, but not really because I was raised with women and they always told me. So they would say it first and I would repeat it back. But now when I had my own two children and even with my girlfriend, who was, is now my wife, I didn't say it until she said it first. Wow. Wow. And then when she said it to me, I didn't say it back. 
You, you say that's typical? Mike, 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 I want them to record it. I know you're loud, but they're, they're recording. So you say it's typical, and I'm going to allow you to expound. But here, here's, before you respond, I want you to also respond to mine. It is, but it isn't, because guys say it loosely in order to get a response from the women. So when you say it's typical, it's so-so, but I want you to explain. Uh, um, not too many men will say to the lady, I love you, at first. Most of them want to hear it first. Then they contemplate. And then probably a couple of days or sometime later on, they will express it when they are certainly that, yes, this year she said it, and I should have said it back, and they, they internalize what they hear, how they feel, and how they should respond. So they should respond. Mm -hmm. So that's a typical thing. Um, very few men will ever write off the bat, tell a woman, I love you. And if they do that, that's a different... Uh, see, nowadays, it had, the game has changed. Well, that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's not, not only is it your opinion, it's your experience. Because my experience is similar to yours. Like, I grew up in a time that I would not say it first. But nowadays, guys are saying it, but they're not genuine. Right. There you go. Now, that's very true. And I'm going to say this before Toya said. In all of my relationships that I've had, that, even the ones that weren't even that serious, um, they, the men have always said, I love you to me first. Mm -hmm. I've never said it to them first. And it might be, you know, my, just my experience. But my cousin, I hear my son. Um, <laughs> my cousin... You know, we were talking about it one day, and she had this, uh, the same experience. And one thing about my upbringing, my mom and dad show a lot of affection to each other. And when I was coming up, my mom said when they first got married, my dad never said, I love you. Mm. And she said she had to help him to be able to express that. And my dad, all my growing up, he would come to us, give us big bear hugs, and be like, I love you. And, you know, he, he's that person, and he's going to come and put his arms around you. That's just who my dad is for me. And so a man who couldn't have that kind of relationship with me, I can't, I, can't, I don't want to use the word train. Yeah, but I struggled saying I it to my girlfriends, it. but to my kids it was easy for some right. reason. But like my husband, my husband was very much that person. But, but that's exactly. I, I know, that's what I'm saying. For some reason, for whatever yes. reason, like I struggled saying it to my they girlfriend. They hold different meanings in your life. Your kid, regardless of, um, like I think guys these days, let me just touch on this. I think guys these days say I love you because they want something. Yep. Now, if you meet a guy and then two weeks he telling you he loves you, let's listen here. He, something's wrong. And I've, I've looked at people and I've seen this thing where they're like, oh, I met this guy in three weeks and we're getting married next year. I think that's an, that I love you was because he was trying to get something. He had a goal. He accomplished it. And I doubt you're going to get married next year. But with the men not expressing the, the I love you, I think a lot of guys really don't experience 
genuine and true love. Like a, a mother and a son love is different than it would be a girlfriend and a boyfriend love. And there are some mothers that love their sons and will go to bat for their sons, but still will not tell their son, I love you. Like it's not always just a woman. There's some women out there that do not tell their sons they love them. But if their son go rob the 7-Eleven, they'll go hide them out in the basement. And that's their form of love towards their child. And they son, they son know that they're not going to hear that I love you, but they know their mom's going to have their back. So it just depends on, and I, I wouldn't even say it was how you raised. I think that that's in It's a number of different reasons. It's a number of different reasons. Isn't that enabling? It is enabling. It is a form of enabling. Um, for me, I feel like uh, the sense of like I love yous and stuff is affected based on, based on your experience through life. For me, because my experience with through life with when it comes to men, I have to see your actions. You can tell me I love you all day. I'm gonna be like okay, mm -hmm. but if you're not showing me like by being there and being present in my life, it's not gonna hold any value for me. So you can tell me I love you all day, but it's not going to hold any You sound like you got some numbers to pick from. Let me find out. <laughs> Mom, we're going to have to have a separate session. <laughs> yeah. I would like to hear from the peanut gallery up top. Andre, Colby. <laughs> I, can, I can say something. All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, I feel like I'm not going to say all men, but we genuinely stay away from it because of uh, feelings involved. Like, women have an outlet to speak to other women about certain things when they get hurt, and men don't. We don't have a friend group where we can go to and be like, bro, I'm hurt. My, my feelings are hurt from this girl. They're going to look at you and tell you, bro, tighten up. You know, it's not, it's not the same. So when we're when we in pain from a heartbreak or something, we just have to deal with it. We don't, and we, don't already know, don't, we already don't know how to express our feelings. It is true. Um, well, you so, come and talk to me about it. Ma. <laughs> so, so you have a, a, a great point, and he's actually correct. It's not until you realize that you're a real man where you can go to another man. Real men cry. Real men share. I went to Oakwood in 93, and since 1997 to, till this day, me and my boys, we text every single day. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about every other day or every other week. Every single day, we since 1997 to present, every day. So we, we, we share vulnerabilities. You know, we, share, we talk about marriages. We talk about our kids. You see what I'm saying? So when you become, you're what, maybe 25 right now? So when you begin to get into yourself and understand who you are and really begin to develop, you, and you understand what it means to be a man in all senses of the word, you have no problem be like, yo, mom, what's, what's Brother Ray number? I got to holler at him. You have no problem with that. So it's just, it's just, it just takes growth. It's just a little bit more growth that has to take place. And you really don't have a lot of real experiences to draw from, in my humble opinion, where it comes to you really, really being in love. Because you're not supposed to fall in love. You're supposed to grow in love. Because if you fall in, you can fall out. But there's no such thing as reverse growth. So you grow in love. You don't fall in love. And that's the problem. Cats nowadays, they've fallen in love, and that's why you've fallen out. When was the last time you heard someone say, yo, I grew out of love with this person? That don't happen. So that's why you're supposed to be friends first. 
Because with friends, there is no impression. You're not trying to do anything special for this individual to gain any type of special benefit. You're being genuine and being real. My wife now was my homegirl at Oakwood. So we go way back. See, so we, we are, you know, we're Jamaican. So in Jamaica, you don't really do adoption. You have a kid or a child, you can't raise it, you bring it to a neighbor, you bring it to a family member. You know, in the U.S., you do adoption. You go to court, you, you know, you, 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 get, you send your child to another family. You don't really do that in the Caribbean a lot. So my, my, my wife's dad was raised by my family. So she grew up calling my blood cousins her cousins. So fast forward to high school. She was shy. My locker mate was shy. I had no interest in her, so I hooked the two of them up, and they dated. She left New York, moved to Florida, and years went by. We both went to Oakwood together. I'm a year older than her. We were at Oakwood, and I was like, Tanya, what up? She didn't remember me. She didn't remember me. I don't know how you can forget me. But I felt sorry for her, so I married her. Let me stop. Delete that. But, um... But we were homies, we were real, real friends. I would, I'm so strong in taking care of the people in my life, especially the women, because again, one of the things that I was raised as a Caribbean young man was you protect your own. So at 14, I had a job and I would bring my check to my mom. She would take out my tithes and offering and gave, give me what she thought I needed for spending and then save the rest. When I left for Oakwood at 17, she gave me all that money that she had taken. So I, otherwise, I would have spent it. I wasn't responsible. I wasn't of the mind. So when it was time for me to go to Oakwood at 17, she told me I wasn't ready. I didn't know what she meant, but she was talking about me being a man and being able to stand on my own too. Despite the fact that I had a job, there were certain things. I was cooking at the age of 10. I was in the kitchen because remember my dad was, was around, but he wasn't a part of my life. I was, I was raised with my, my sisters. I had three older sisters, my mom, grandma, and we were, you know, all in the house together. Um, but she said I wasn't ready, and she didn't explain herself because, again, there are some peer parents who don't feel like they need to explain themselves. My mom was one of those. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't know what she meant. So I enrolled myself in a community college. I got a job as a flashlight cop in the college. I was walking around with flashlights. Boy, I was serious. Boy, I had to my job serious. What you doing? What you say now? Boy, I took that job serious. Um, and then I worked on the weekends at this place called Caldor. It was like Walmart. And then I worked on the, at nights cutting steel in a, in a steel metal factory. So I had three jobs while I was in school. Got a, a 3.0 GPA, and I was struggling in school, but I was dead focused on going to Oakwood. I needed to get out of the house. Needed to leave New York for many reasons. And I bought my mom a car from the monies that I was working. And I did everything that I thought meant being a man and being super responsible. And when she told me to do something, I did it. And even if she didn't tell me to do stuff, I was just doing it. And that's what she needed. That's what she wanted to see. She didn't want to have to tell me to wake up to worship. She didn't want to have to tell me to get up to take the trash out. She didn't want to tell me that I need to start saving my money and being more responsible. She needed to see it, to your point, like love. You see what I'm saying? So that helped me because when I went to Oakwood, I didn't have no family. I was in the South. So I left the hood in the streets of New York to go into racist Alabama. I don't know what was worse. You see what I'm saying? Because Oakwood protects you. You feel me? You went to the wood. 
Oakwood protects us, but there's a certain circle you can't get out that bubble. And I was at Oakwood in 93 where it was really, really bad. Real bad. It was a risk going to A&M. So it was really, really rough. But I say that to say that that experience and what my mom was trying to teach me without even telling me what it meant to be a man, because she's a woman. So she couldn't tell me how to be a man, but she knew what a man looked like. And when I started showing that, she was like, now you're ready, son. And then she let me go. So to your point, more experience, more time, more exposure, situation. Learned experiences are great, but nothing beats a lived experience. And that's why I keep saying you can go to school to gain an education, but you will never be able to go to school to gain wisdom. Wisdom comes through life, through experiences, through practice. So my dad, who has a third grade education, left school in Jamaica to raise the family, is a millionaire by virtue of knowing how to hustle. You see what I'm saying? So I have seven, seven different sources of income, but I have no job. I have a career, but I don't do jobs. Jobs are to make ends meet. Careers are your life. I have passions that pay, and it aligns with God's purpose for my life. So that's why I was saying earlier this morning, you young folks, y'all got to find out what your passions are because you're doing yourself a disservice by just going through the motions, and then you're going to end up being 30. Me and you and I were talking about that just last night. You're going to end up being 30 or 40 years old living in your parents' basement, especially if you have a parent who is the submissive type or the permissive type that won't kick you out to teach you how to live. And you're just doing yourself and your future spouse a disservice because you don't know what it means to grind. So my dad knew how to hustle and how to save, and he went out there. He didn't do it the right way. He didn't always do it the right way, but he bought houses and property and all of that. And, you know, you, you have one house in New York, you're pretty much half a millionaire by the time you sell that. You see what I'm saying? Because houses right now is ridiculous. So, you know, and he was able to do that. Um, and, 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 and do different things. And, and he didn't necessarily tell me he loved me, but he showed me through different actions and different things. And I learned from him by what he did. And those are some of the life lessons that he taught me, and I was learning without even knowing I was learning. Sister Woodard. Okay. Um, you know, there are a lot of guys out there who they get their grind on and they're working and everything, but at the end of the day, they are mentally um, inept as far as very immature, mm -hmm. trying to see how many chicks they can get, always flashy, I got this, I got that, but you don't have a heart. And for me, I need a man with heart. So let me share something very disrespectful but true. Women make it easy. Can I be honest? Yeah, please. Without insulting? My sisters, y'all make it easy for us. Um, and when I was at Tally High when I was at FAMU, the ratio was 21 women to one dude. 21 to one. So the girls were not only fighting for attention and for a dude, they were willing to compromise. And they were willing to work worse than a compromise. They were willing to settle. So they, to your point earlier when you said all the good guys were taken, do you know that at Howard University, women, I didn't always wear my band. I told my wife that more girls holler at me when I have my band on. Do you know why? They don't have to commit. No attachments, and what you just said, 
all the good guys are taken. So if I am single, something is wrong with me. If I'm taken, I'm good. So you have to take me away from my wife to get a good dude. Ain't that flawed in the thinking? So there's a difference between understanding and agreeing. I as no way in hell I'm going to agree with that, but I understand. I understand the twisted thinking in these silly cats out here who are single, they're about game. I ain't about that. I need me an older man who's a focus, and since they're all gone, don't clap yet, because they was hollering at poor me. <laughs> a, a, a brother who's married, I don't want that extra stress in my life. Have y'all seen Chocolate City? Y'all see what's going on in D.C.? The sisters, are, the, the, even the brothers are beautiful. So I used to model, and my own wife was, was trying to talk about, hey, invite your friend over. Why? We ain't having Bible study. <laughs> she wants eye candy. She, I mean, but we just have that open relationship, like, yo, your friend is fine. And I'm like, cool, you know what I'm saying? I don't care, because I would rather you tell me openly yeah. than you be like, look over there, and then you sneak in that. So, Nah, so be, be real with us. You know, we're human. You know what I'm saying? You, and, and again, the Bible says don't lust. Because once you lust, you've already committed sin in your heart. But it's okay to acknowledge that God spent some extra time on that beautiful creation. That's fine. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So to your point, Sister Woodard, and your point as well, the young ladies, and we talked about, touched on it a little bit today, you guys, or not you guys, they have created this, this image where they're not waiting on the guys, they're going to get them. And I don't know about the guys of now, but I need, I need a fight, I need a challenge. Because anything that comes easy to me, I don't want it. Because if you said yes to me after me just spitting lines to you for three days, how many other dudes have you said yes to? Yes. And what makes me that much more special than them? Correct. You see what I'm saying? Correct. So how I treat the women in my life, when my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, was dating, I gave her my car to go on dates with dudes. Because I told her, I refuse to know that you're out there, don't like this dude, not having a good time, and he's trying to take advantage of you, and you're stuck to the mercy of him because you drove with him. So I gave her my car, but we, I remember she was a homie. I didn't like her, she didn't like me, but I needed to know you were safe. And this is in the 90s when we didn't have cell phones. So I said, you drive your little happy behind there, and drive your happy behind home on your terms. So that's the type of dude that I was with those women that I really, really took care of them, and any family member, but especially the sisters in my life. I wanted to make sure that they were cool. So the brothers, to your guys' points, they're not, we're not doing that no more. Like, chivalry is dead. Who opens doors anymore? I do, but I don't see that often anymore. No. I, I tell my wife, don't touch the door, and I run around in the rain, an umbrella and everything, and try to open the door. She's one of them hardcore, hard-headed Jamaican women. Well, I won't do it myself. And I'm like, dude, can I feel good about me? Let me, let me do this. Sister Woodard. Well, I, you know, by you mentioning that, I was in at Oakwood um, the late 80s and the 90s, and my husband was my homie. Mm. Prior to us, I had no interest in him at all, but he used to let me use his car And he used to make sure hey, I'm checking on you, whatever mm -hmm. and uh, Yeah, it worked. Yeah, it did because we grew mm -hmm. a Friendship and then we fell we grew in love there it goes because I didn't fall in love He was not my idea of who I wanted to be with but he broke the 
you know, everybody has like a type. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He was not the type that I had ever dated. <laughs> he was totally the opposite. Mm -hmm. But he was the one to be there to look out for me and it, it, it made an impression. He opened the doors. He mm -hmm. would make sure that I got home safe. Mm -hmm. He's like, just check in, you know. Right. And that I appreciated. So here, here's my here's, um, thing, and we're going to move on and close in a few, but dating should be like building a house. If you build a good, strong house, the very first layer is concrete, the foundation. On top of that concrete, that's where you put the wood fixtures. So now when the winds blow and the storm comes, that concrete foundation in your relationship is friendship. On top of the friendship are the wood fixtures called relationships. So when things get rocky, that relationship may blow away, but that friendship should always remain true. That concrete foundation ain't going nowhere. What's happening now is my brothers and sisters, they ain't building with concrete. It's straight wood off the gate, and they building in sand. So it's a little, little puff, and that whole foundation is done, and then you're not able to talk to your quote-unquote friend that should never happen. Every last one of my exes, and there's only two of them, I married the third, I'm cool with. Now, I ain't going to be an idiot and call them up and be like, hey, girl, how you doing? I'm not that dumb. <laughs> now, I used to make those mistakes. <laughs> but we're still friends because we had that concrete foundation, which is what is true. If you are in a relationship, you have to first be friends. How do you meet someone online and then you date and then you, like you said, marry in a, in a short period of time. I dated, included engagement, my wife for eight years. Uh, no, 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 no. See? And no. I knew I was going to get that no. response. But guess what? Let, let, hear the end of the story. It's not about the process. It's about the outcome. Would you be willing to wait for a man who revered you second to none? Would you be willing to wait eight years for a man that was that's going to take care of you, and you, he didn't only say it, he showed it. Took care of all her bills, bought her a car. She didn't have to pay a dime. I'm talking about a brother who was at, hold on, don't say a word. At Oakwood, three jobs and in school so I can take care of me and my future wife. I told her every single day, you ain't going nowhere, you're mine. I spoke it into existence. Will you be willing to wait eight years? Yeah. My father told me. Do not marry and work things out. Work things out and then marry. So yes, it took me eight years, but we've been together for 27. You ain't willing to wait? You better sit your happy behind down. Well, I mean, you know what? And, and to your point, there's, I agree. There's not a lot out there. There's not a lot out there. But yes. All right, so for a moment, I want us girls to stop talking about, oh, the men. We need this men to be this way. We need the men to be that way. Let's take a step back, understand that, obviously, guys take a longer time to get themselves together because at the end of the day, the responsibility is going to be on them. They're going to have to hold the weight for the whole family. And, yes, we have the girls who are independent, but most girls want a guy who can do it all. They can help out, but they want a man who knows they can do it all. So yes, even though we're young, we're thinking, 
oh my gosh, we want to get married, we want to have kids at a certain age, we have to just take time and be like, okay, all right, so the men who are coming as right now, if they're really what we want right now, we have to go ahead and slow our thinking, slow our role, be able to see, man, okay, he's got potential. Let me stay with him. Let me work with him and let me grow with him so that we can eventually get what we want in the end because we can't rush things. Yes, we want that in a man, but at the end of the day, you can't grow him. You have to be able to, you don't want to, you don't want to like end up being his mama. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You want to be able to be like, okay, you know, I see he got him and he got us and we can work on that together. Mm -hmm. That's what I got to say. Good point. But I would say, I'm going to say this because there's a difference between waiting and growing and us having those conversations like eventually, you know, this is our plan or whatever and you getting comfortable. I'm not waiting for anybody for 10 years and you are not making those steps or showing me those steps of trying to move forward and to get married and stuff. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not wasting 10 years of my time. And if that's the case, let me know so I can get my life and how, you know, find somebody who has that same mindset that I do. Because a lot of people look at being unequally yoked as, oh, it only involves money. For me, it's emotionally, it's com like goal-wise, it's everything. And I think, but you were right um, when you were saying like um, nowadays we don't focus on trying to build that friendship level. They just hop into a relationship and they don't know anything about each other and then they wonder why it fails and oh I hate you and going back and forth and I don't know I just I don't know when we lost that touch of tradition as far as getting to know each other but I do think we have to draw a line as far as growing and getting to know each other and you dragging your feet and just stuck in one place and not willing to progress forward. You, you raise a good point, but the problem is because you skip the friendship phase, you miss out on this telltale signs that are there. They're telling you what they're going to do. They're telling you the type of individual they are most of the time. You're just so in love that you miss it. But you can only put up impressions, but for only so long. You're going to show your true colors. And by the time that happens, you're so into it, you're so blind, you accept the foolishness and say, oh, that's just him. That's just how he is. You know how he get when he mad. You know he hit me, but he really loved me. We start making excuses because you're blinded by the what is good. And, and of course, when you add another layer of certain physical things that you're supposed to not do until you're married, it definitely blinds us and we miss out on a lot of different signs that are being, are, are being put there. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. She has the mic. Oh, 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 okay, go ahead. I'll come to you in a second. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say, um, touching on what Corinne said, of she doesn't know when we lost that, that kind of thinking. Um, I, out of observation, I've noticed that ch children with older parents tend to think more like that. Like, I feel like that's the older way of thinking. And we were just blessed to have the parents that are, you know, older. Um, and my parents are, you know, 15 years apart. And I've lived with them, you know, my whole life. And out of observation, I see they're very compatible. So, and I'm just blessed to have, you know, an older parent, which would be my dad, 
you know, my mom's the younger parent because they're 15 years apart. But um, having my dad has, you know, made me still have that mindset of what to expect from men. So now it makes sense. Because remember, your sister Wooden and I, I'll give her mine since I'm closer. We were saying how they're very, there's a number of different experiences that shape us. And you just spoke to one of those is your environment, how you were raised and what you see. And what shaped you was you seeing your dad, which is why it makes sense for you now to say that you feel like guys are 10 years removed when your parents are 15 years apart. So I would assume that you're probably attracted to guys that's older than you. I am. But just don't go 15 years right now. I just wanted to say that the, the, one of the main ingredients in the foundation is the spiritual aspect of that life. You know, if we are not um, spiritually connected, then um, the Holy Spirit, you know, won't be able to, to, to work with you. You know, you have to be spiritually connected. And, you know, the Holy Spirit will say, well, you know... Um, have you thought about that, or have you thought about this, and you know, and so on and so forth. <laughs> yeah, I think we also are in a hip hop kind of. Um, everybody thinks that the videos are life. Everybody's trying to emulate the foolishness that they see on on camera. I was telling my daughter uh, there was this video playing of what's that woman's name. I, I she used to be a stripper, and everybody now wants to follow her or her foolishness and how she ref, refers to herself in negative terms. And I was like, this is absolute foolishness. And then these girls want to emulate this and how they even refer to themselves in negative terms. So I, I, I clearly got to come back and, and, and um, have more conversation and dialogue with y'all because... Um, from our prior conversation where we started opening up and actually getting vulnerable, yes. that was a good space. That's actually where I operate best, when there's no pretense, when we really let the guards down and we just can be frank and open and honest. I mean, and earlier the conversation when we were doing the roundtable discussions, it started getting there, but then right when we got comfortable with one another, it was time to transition. So it, it ha we, you guys, I applaud you guys for what you're doing and for creating this space, but... Um, we do this on a, what, once a month in Northeast, and I encourage you guys to do it as well. Um, and we, call it, we just call it tabletop conversations. And it's all those questions, comments, and concerns that you can't ask your pastor or that they don't preach about from the pulpit. We have real open conversations with different individuals who are experienced, either lived or learned, in whatever it is that you want to know. When I asked you guys what's the difference between cigarettes, vaping, heroin, weed, alcohol, caffeine, you know, we had varying different beliefs that, oh, this is bad, this is horrible, this is not so bad, but they're all drugs. They're all wrong. Yeah. You can't say, I can drink coffee, but I won't smoke weed. They're all wrong in the sight of God. Since when did we scale sins? Since when can I have oral sex, but I won't allow him to penetrate, and that be okay? Since when is that a thing? It's wrong. I don't know if y'all have homies that are in it, because I know y'all don't engage in this, but I don't know if the, the, your peer groups are doing this, but anal sex is the thing right now. 
male and female. That is the thing. They're thinking that I'm a virgin if I allow him to penetrate anally and not vaginally. So I'm still a virgin. It is widely popular. Not just every now and then I'll get a case. Everyone is doing it, male and female. I had a girl who was 14 turning herself into a boy, dealing with a boy who was turning himself into a girl. Why don't just stay who you are? It just doesn't make sense at 14. And her grandfather, she lived with her grandfather, he was allowing, and I can't say that you can stop it, but you can most certainly ask for help in trying to help her through that aspect of her mental health. That wasn't the number one or even the top concern that he had. It was the behaviors. Well, he didn't really get the connection that the behaviors that she's demonstrating is because of her thinking, her flawed thinking, and what she's allowed to do. So he would take her to Charlotte so she can go to these events that had individuals that were just like him or her. And this was before we even had the they language. They didn't have that. This was about five years ago. They, it wasn't even that language there. But it was so much confusion that I was dealing with on an everyday basis, and now they have a space for them. So now everyone is jumping into this space of, I'm safe here. Because again, when things get tough, you want to find someone who will accept or understand. And the church is not going to be a place so that we accept foolishness. So they go out into the world and they find these different groups of people who will accept you. And gangs and the LGBTQ community is very accepting. And that's where a lot of my young people are finding themselves, even when they're in a state of confusion. They're not necessarily gay, they're not necessarily bi, they're confused or they're questioning, why am I 17 and I'm relatively attractive, but no one is hollering at me. So they think that that means that they should go the other route. No, that's not what it means. But they're reducing themselves to thinking that, and because the same young lady that you just mentioned goes both ways, and so do many of the artists, and they're promoting this in their songs. So that's why it's so easy now. Look at my brothers wearing tight jeans. Back in the 90s, that was never a thing. But now from the behind, you can't tell if it's a male or a female. Wessel, um, Russell Westbrook has a line of skirts. He has a company, he, and it, doesn't, it, it makes sense why he made the move to California. He now plays for the Lakers, he has a line of clothes, and his most popular um, um, garment right now is a skirt, a, man, a male skirt. A man's skirt. And in LA and in New York, that's widely popular right now. So he fits right in, he's comfortable. He's in the perfect place for his business to flourish. He's gonna be a multimillionaire in no time because of the direction that we're going in. And he's not the only one. Abaka wears skirts. All of these manly men, they're out there doing these things. And of course, you don't define a man by how they look or how tough and strong they are, but I'm just saying that this is more and more popular. They have men heels, high heels. They have men purses. So again, like this morning, we were talking about role shifts, if ever there was a role. The number one dress, hairdresser is a male. The number one cook is a male. Um, the number one hairstylist is a male. I mean, you know, and women are, are strongly and quickly rising to the top of, of what we, you used to consider male role. Mechanics, computers, engineering, women are taking over companies, you know? So I don't know what that means in the terms of where we're moving to and what we're go, where we're going, but it's, it's just 
a lot of confusion is what I would say is happening. And it's pushed by number one, the number one most influential avenue that we must protect, vision, the things that we watch. So I have to end here on our last comment, but go ahead, share, please. My other thing with the whole gender roles thing is that, well, number one, we as women have more access to the whole education system. Um, so we're also allowed to, um, I guess, be on par with males. Now the spirituality part of the whole uh, gender roles and um, I guess like the dress and uh, behaviorist, that has started, the lines have been blurred a lot. But as I think as we discussed earlier, there's nothing really wrong with a male being able to cook or um, understand how to sew, but um, there has to be like a balance between them. Great, 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 great point. All great points. Like I said, I applaud you, Sister Wooded, for what you're doing with the young people. Continue this going, and I don't even mind jumping in if, when y'all get this, that popping to do, you know, be a part of you guys' programs during Zoom. I'm down with that, because I love what you guys got going. So as we end up the parental part, the last one that I wanted to share with you was the authoritative parent. They're responsible, supportive of children's decision, guides and shows by example, willing to discuss choices they or their child makes. They want their child to be socially responded, responsible, self-regulated, cooperative, have high expectations for achievement and maturity, and set rules and enforce boundaries by having open discussions and using reasoning. So you say that that's where you are? How about the effects of that parenting style? Good decision makers achieve a higher academic success, independent but seeks help when needed. Confident can come, can come off cocky or better than or arrogant sometimes. They are right in their minds, hard to convince otherwise. They listen but slow to change. They're capable, successful, and they have better mental health, less depression, anxiety, suicide attempts, delinquency, alcohol, and drug use. Um, which parental style is the most effective? Authoritative and democratic. The uninvolved is the absolute worst, and the permissive or the authoritarian is, is in between. And again, this is not absolutes. It doesn't mean that if you're any one particular style, you're a bomb parent or you're a horrible parent. It just is a benchmark by which we gauge how we're responding and how our children are responding to us. So there is my presentation on the hell that I've created is the hell I'm trying to avoid. Um, here's a clip of the Cosby Show. What type of parenting style did they use? Anyone know? I think they, they were the authoritative decision maker. Yeah, but, but, but they, they, and you're right, but they were unique in including all different types because at some times they were permissive. You know, sometimes they put their foot down, but in a joking way. You see what I'm saying? So they found a really, really creative way of interweaving all those types. And it worked for them. It may not work for all couples because if one is strong authoritative and if one is strongly permissive, that's going to be a hard sell to make. There's another part of the presentation that I want to do for you guys or give to you to do for your youth is personality assessments, temperament assessments. You need to know who you are. Because oftentimes when you guys are getting into the world of working and into dating, there are certain personalities that clash and there are certain personalities and temperament that complement each other. But if you don't know who you are, you won't know who you're opposed to.
Have you ever been in a room or met someone and you don't know them from Adam, but you just get a wrong feeling, be like, yo, I don't like them. It's not that you don't like the person, but the Bible talks about your fruits, right? It's that fruit, it's that person's spirit, it's the temperament that don't rub the right way. Melancholics and phlegmatics um, bump heads. You see what I'm saying? So there's, there's and, and, and this might be um, foreign language, but there's, the, 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 there's several out there, but the one that I use is the sanguine, phlegmatic, um, choleric, and um, sanguine, phlegmatic, choleric, and melancholic. Those are the four, the ones that I use that, that breaks you down into four quadrants. It gives you 20 questions so that you can identify your strengths and 20 different benchmarks for you to identify your weakness. And I'll send it to you, if you and I'll teach you how to do it if, if you can't get me back here to do it. But um, we encouraged all young people between ages of 18 and up to take the temperament assessment so you can start beginning to see where you are. Uh, um, and again, it breaks it down into work, school, friends, and relationship. So I feel like every one of you guys, and I do it obviously for all those over 18, and we recommend every two years you get reassessed. So you, are, you have a primary and you have a secondary. You are born into your primary but function in your secondary. An example, I'm a sanguine. So by nature, I have a bubbly personality. That's just who God made me. However, when I was a teacher, I was a sanguine choleric. I had to be bossy. So I had to stand up there and demand the attention and respect from the kids in the class, especially because I was teaching in DC. And we had, we had throw hands in my classroom sometimes. But now that I'm a therapist, I'm still sanguine primary, but my role has changed. I'm a therapist. I have to shut up and listen. I can't boss anybody around. So now I'm sanguine phlegmatic. So my secondary has changed. My primary is still me. I'm to my core, Ray Gray, who I am. That will never change. But the role that I'm in, when you're single, you can, your, your secondary can be one way. You're super independent or you're super permissive. When you get married, you have to take into account the person that you now have in your life. You can't be that same person. So your roles will change, and that's why we encourage every two years to be reassessed. So again, I will teach you how to take the test, or I will do it for you. It is a very long process, but I've done it before on Zoom, and everyone needs to get it, young and old. If you don't know who you are, you will never know who you're opposed to. And not only that, you can't help someone if you're still hurt. It's like two blind people crossing the street. Who's going to be in front? You see what I'm saying? So you have to, you have to be, you know, uh, and again, you're not responsible for that which you do not know. So the mistakes that you're making now, you can get away with it. But once Sister Wooded tells you about yourself, once I identify what your weaknesses are, what the issues are within yourself, and you've heard, you can't claim ignorance any longer. You're now responsible. Love you guys. Had a wonderful weekend. Thank you for all you guys have done and all you continue to do. Continue to keep the good work. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Gray, for coming, for uh, educating us. And I hope that everyone who was in attendance learned a lot. I know I learned a lot. And I'm always open to learning more about being better. And uh, everyone out there who joined us online, thank you for supporting. Um, Brother Gray has a website. I wanted to hit the website up. What, what is it? It's uh, 
I didn't. I don't have my phone with me. Let me see. It's the um, greyhoundgroup.com. G R A Y H O U N D. Greyhoundgroup.com. Um, and basically, what I've done is I created a space where young people can pro receive um, counseling, um, support, and I go around the world doing motivational speaking, like what I'm doing now. But I use therapy by way of sports. A lot of my black and brown people don't like to talk, they don't like to open up, but if you get them on the court and we begin to unpack, if you get them, volleyball is the primary um, uh, uh, way that I use because I have about 450 clients and about 400 of them are volleyball players. Um, I also recruit. Um, I played semi-pro volleyball and both my daughters are on the track of volleyball. My 18-year-old got a full ride to Winston-Salem State, doesn't have to pay a dime. The school actually pays her to go to school above her scholarship, and in her contract is no Sabbaths ever. So you can't tell me that God is not going to open up windows, doors, and opportunities for you if you're faithful. If you stand for God, he will make others bow for you. She turned down Duke and Howard University and other major schools because they weren't honoring the Sabbath. But we found a whole list that was. And my 13-year-old, 14 now, she um, has interest from University of Florida, West Virginia State, and um, UNC Chapel Hill, and just other things. So I help my athletes throughout the process of getting money, scholarships, and all types of help, along with having conversations and unpacking one's mental health. So it's the greyhoundgroup.com, and you can find me and information and have me fly out to wherever you guys are if you need help. All right, well, um, thank you again. I thank everybody for hanging out. I know it's been a long day. Uh, I want to remind everyone, uh, Sister Fulmore's um, wake is this evening, and if anyone is going to be joining that, I think it's at the Deerfield Beach Church. So anyway, let us close out. If I could put one person on um, the spot and ask them would they pr give a closing prayer would be Mr. Stephen Gray. Would you please come? Let's, might as well keep the gray going today. <laughs> if you would, and thank you. And remember, we are on Let's Get Real, talking about real is issues on generally every second and fourth Sabbath evening. All right, everybody, by us and close your eyes for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us all here together um, in order to learn more about ourselves and the environments we live in and just how to better ourselves. I ask that we take something from this and um, help it to better ourselves as we grow. And um, Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Thank you. You are now excused. Have a great evening. Bye. Oh, please remember we have uh, snacks in the hallway, please feel free to grab and take it with you.